Our scripture passage today is from John, the 12th chapter, and I'm going to read from the second part of verse 36 down through verse 50. John 12, 36 through 50. It can be found on page 899 of those blue pew Bibles that you have. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, Many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment what to say, and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I hope that you will take many opportunities in the next few minutes to stop and pray. It is the goal of this worship service that we would be brought into the presence of God. And our response to this side of heaven to being in the presence of God is prayer. I'm going to start us off praying together. And in these moments of silence, would you pray as we have been instructed that the preacher would rightly understand the word that is to be preached. Let's come before our God in prayer.
Father in heaven, I, along with Stephanie, thank you for such a beautiful day. And I thank you for the promise of spring. And as Steph led us, the promise of your faithfulness yet again, that another winter has come and is on its way out. And that spring reminds us of new life. Father, we are aware that you are a God who calls dead things to life, who calls things that aren't as though they are. And Father, if we knew ourselves well enough, we would know that we are just such things. We are your creation, dead in our sins and our trespasses, but who have been made alive by you because of your great love for us. Father, we praise you that you have made us alive through the death of your Son. Father, we confess to you that that's a lot to hold on to. And we confess to you that it often escapes our mind and our notice and our attention. And we confess to you that we are so quickly distracted. Father, send your spirit to us that we might understand who you are and what you have done. Lord Jesus, as we contemplate your actions on these days between Passover and Good Friday, we praise you for this passage and for how you acted and drew out the reality of the hearts of those around you. Lord Jesus, I pray that in the next few minutes you would draw out our hearts before you. Father, not one of us wants to be exposed But there is not one of us that wants to be unknown either. And so I pray that you, Jesus, would remind us that you know us. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you have drunk to the dregs the cup of God's wrath that was meant for us those of us who have put our faith and trust in you. And we praise you that you have set us free. Would you show us the recesses of our hearts where we need that freedom to be made known? Send us your spirit. That you, Holy Spirit, would illuminate Christ for us now. Father, we praise you that you are faithful beyond measure. Jesus, we praise you that you are seated at the right hand of the Father. Holy Spirit, we praise you that according to your promises, we know that you are with us. And we pray that in the next few minutes you would change us. That you would make us more and more like the God in whose image we were created.
Restore unto us the joy of your salvation, even as we embark on this holy week. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray all these things. Amen. I want you and I to see, I want you and me to see that in these next few verses, what we have is a study of unbelief. It's what the Gospel of John has gifted us with. And here we see more narration from John than we usually see. What we see with regard to unbelief in these next few verses is the result of unbelief, the root of unbelief, and God's response to unbelief. It's amazing what a simple game of hide-and-seek can reveal about human unbelief, isn't it? If you've ever played hide-and-seek, you know the mystery of the game. Will you be the hider? Will you be the seeker? If you hide, will you be found? If you seek, will you find? This is the end of Jesus' public ministry. You're about to hear the last words that Christ will give publicly on the earth. From this point going forward, the gospel writer John records for us Jesus' interaction with his disciples, and then Jesus' trial... His death, his resurrection, the purpose of the book of John. Actually, that these signs are recorded that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we might have life in him. And then the following and last scene of the Gospel of John will be Jesus along the shores of the lake eating breakfast with his disciples who will have deserted him and returned fishing. This is the last of Jesus' public ministry. What do you think about Jesus' ministry? Uh, success or failure? It's an interesting idea, isn't it? We are told in verse 37 that though he had done so many signs... Before them, they still did not believe in him. The crowd and the authorities that had gathered around him that only less than a chapter ago had raced out for that Passover entry, that triumphal entry. Ministry success or failure of Jesus John says that the reason that he wrote the book was to record these signs so that we might believe. But here he says that no one has believed. They still did not believe him, they said. What did they not believe? If we're going to study unbelief, what did they not believe? They did not believe this, that in the person and the work of Jesus, the true nature of God is revealed. That is what was not believed. Let me say it one more time. 
What was not believed? What is the anchor of unbelief that in the person and the work of Jesus, they did not believe that the true nature of God is revealed? What is the result of this unbelief being shown? We're told in just the verses before that Jesus said in verse 35, look, the light is with you only for a little while longer. And he says, while the light is with you, walk in the light, lest darkness overtake you. It's not so much that darkness is not going to come. It's that darkness is going to crush you is the image. And it's the same way that it's spoken of in John 1, 5. Jesus says, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And then, listen to what Jesus does. When Jesus has said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. What happened to the light? The light, Jesus, the light of the world, hid himself. And in hiding, brings to the fore the unbelief. And what is the result of the unbelief that is there. We see this in verses 38 through 40. That human beings become like the idols that we create. That's the result of unbelief. That human beings become like the idols that we create. Listen to how John says, look, this is fulfilling the prophet Isaiah's words. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. What is described here from a quote in Isaiah 6? It is what happens to human beings when we worship idols when we worship anything other than God, we become like the idols that we worship. Isaiah 44 is this amazing story about those who craft and create idols, and it says that they do it out of a chunk of wood, and with part of the wood, they heat their home and they make their food, and with another part of the wood, they craft their God and they worship the wood. And they become like the wood. If you want to read an incredible section of this, read Psalm 115 from verses 4 to verses 8. And essentially the argument that exists throughout the whole Old Testament is that we become like the idols that we create. Having eyes but not seeing, ears but not hearing, hearts but not understanding... ...and dying needing to be healed. What is described here is a judicial hardening by God. Pay attention to it. He has blinded their eyes. He has hardened their heart. But it is consistent with our human will. The result of unbelief is that we human beings become like that which we Worship like that which we create. 
God says it another way in Romans 1, that we are given over to our desires. The result of unbelief is that human beings become like the idols that they create. That's the result of belief, but it's not the root of belief. We see the root of belief when we read on. Verse 41 tells us that Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. What is he talking about? These words are recorded in Isaiah 6 when Isaiah has a vision of God in all of his glory. You remember this vision, right? When the temple shook and it says that the train of the glory of God, that, the, that God's train filled the entire temple. And that the temple shook and that it smoked. And Isaiah saw the glory of God and he said, woe is me. Do you remember what he said? He said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a group of people of unclean lips. Isaiah said, I've seen the glory of God and I'm going to die. But God says not so to Isaiah. And he charges an angel to go into the altar and with a coal to touch his lips. And then he asks Isaiah, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, I will. And then God gives him these words to speak. These words of judgment that talk about our hearts being hardened. These words that prove themselves to be our judge. Either we hear them and we say, yes, that's us. Our hearts are hardened. Or we go, not me. My heart's not hardened. What, are you kidding me? And suddenly, the very words themselves become our judge. Isaiah, who witnessed the glory of God, threw up his arms and begged for mercy and repentance. Woe is me. I'm undone. When was asked if he would go or who would go, Isaiah said, I will go. And Isaiah saw these things. He saw his glory and he spoke of him. Isaiah professed. He confessed. He proclaimed God's truth publicly, having seen his glory. The writer of John uses that illustration to help us understand the root of unbelief. If the result of unbelief is that we become like the idols that we worship, the root of unbelief is explained in verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, as many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. And then the verse that we need to spend some time with. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. What is the root of unbelief? We are told here that the root of unbelief is loving the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Recognize that what John is showing us is that the authorities acted 
in the opposite manner in which Isaiah acted when he saw God's glory. Isaiah repented, volunteered, professed and confessed who God was. But here what we see is that the authorities, though they believed in him, though they saw him, though they began to connect the dots, refused to confess him. Because they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. What is the glory that comes from man? Do you remember how John has been talking about glory? He's been talking about glory being that which reveals one. And so what he is saying is that as human beings, we are more concerned about what people think about us and even what we think about ourselves than what God thinks about us. The glory, the revelation of ourselves that comes from God. We're more concerned about what we say about each other and what we say about ourselves than we are concerned with what God says about us. The root of unbelief is hating God's opinion and loving our own, to use the language of love and hate that John has already talked about. Preferring, if you will, our opinions over God's. I want to ask you a question. What is it that keeps you from confessing and professing, from confessing and professing your convictions about God in every circle that you're in. We all confess things. And we all profess things. What is it about us that keeps us from confessing and professing our convictions about God in every circle that we're in? The last thing that I want you to see about this study of unbelief is God's response to human unbelief. Because it's here in verses 44 through 50. I want you to see how tightly this fits together. Jesus cries out. What, 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 wait, what's he doing? Jesus has just departed and hid himself from them. And now Jesus cries out. It doesn't say that he came back into public. He doesn't say anything like that. The image that you and I get is the image of one who is hidden too well so that he cannot be found and from his hiding spot cries out, right? That's the image that John gives us with the language. That crying out that says, here I am. Will you seek me? God's response to human unbelief is his ultimate self-revelation in Jesus. God speaks into our unbelief. 
God himself does something about our unbelief. We read in 44 that Jesus cried out and said, Jesus is going to say four things, and I'm going to go through them quickly, and then I want you to go look up Isaiah 6.10, and I want you to look at these four things, because Jesus addresses Isaiah 6.10 that says, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, turn and be forgiven. That's what Isaiah 6.10 says. And listen to what Jesus cries out. Jesus cries out in verse 44, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Jesus, in his crying out, addresses our understanding that our belief is a belief about God, his very character and his nature. Jesus has come to undo the lie of our understanding that God is not for us and that he is not going to give us everything that we need. In verse 44, Jesus reminds us he has come so that we would understand that he is shedding light on God. Verse 45 and 46, Jesus addresses our eyes. Listen to what he says. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus, as the light, restores sight for us. What is that sight? The seeing of God in his very character and his person, his orientation toward you. And yet, I struggle Because I love the glory of men and choose it so often over the glory of God. In verses 47 and 48, Jesus addresses our ears, also mentioned as Isaiah 6. Verse 47 says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. But I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me And does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. Do you see the consistency with Isaiah 6? The very speaking of those words. That Jesus' words, I reveal the Father to you. God so loved the world that he gave me his only begotten son. That whoever believes in me won't perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is saying, look, I came to save the world, but it's those words that will judge you. That will stand as your judge at the end. Either judging your unbelief because you have refused to believe in God. Or judging how slow you and I are to confess and profess the convictions we have of him. Because of our fear of human beings. And then finally, listen to what he says in 49 and 50. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. 
What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus addresses our healing. The command, he says, that the Father has told him to articulate is eternal life. In just a few chapters, Jesus is going to define eternal life this way. Eternal life is to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That that's what eternal life is. To know the one true God. To know who he is. To know what he has done for us. To know his heart's orientation toward us. To know his action in this world. To know his reconciliation of all things. To know him and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This is eternal life. Jesus addresses in his last public words, the problem that Isaiah 6 presents to us. That the result of unbelief is that we become like the gods we create. The root of our unbelief being that very reality of our hearts that so often we prefer the glory from other people their opinions of us, our opinions of ourselves versus the glory that comes from God. What do we do in this Holy Week? When we either sit here and say, I've never professed faith in Christ, I do not believe that Jesus is the self-revelation of God. This would be a great week for you to walk in the light. To consider who Jesus is this week. To read the following chapters of John and to sit in the reality of who Christ is. What if you recognize the root of unbelief still having presence in your heart? That you are anything like me and so often find yourself preferring the glory that comes from other human beings versus the glory that comes from God. The way that you would know that is your willingness to confess and to profess who God is in every area of your life. What is stopping us? We need to be changed. But this is why Jesus has said, walk in the light while the light is with you. What do we do about our silence? I've got a lot of reasons why I have become silent. COVID forced us into a lot of silence. The polarity of our culture and our society may have forced us into a lot of silence. Our own anger and frustration with one another, maybe it's forced us into relational silence. Maybe it's forced us from no longer confessing or professing the very character and the person and the work of the God who we say we worship. What do we do? We walk in the light of the truth of God. We consider the magnitude of the death of Christ 
for our sins. We go back and we read Psalm 75 that Steph read earlier. And we realize that the cup of God's wrath is what our sins deserve. And yet his love is what it is for us. That he sent his son to drink that cup for us. And what happens when we become, when we walk in the light? We actually become more like the God who created us. Do you see the consistency? Isaiah 6 tells us that we become like the gods who we create. We human beings are going to become like something. We'll either have eyes that no longer see reality, ears that no longer hear truth, hearts that no longer understand God, and souls that will die, becoming like the idols that we worship, or we will have eyes that are open to see reality the way that God does, ears that are open to hear his words as he speaks truth to us, hearts that understand him, and be healed unto eternal life. Jesus draws out this unbelief by hiding. What do you do when you sense God hiding from you? When your life gets really tough. That's an important question that we ought to ask ourselves. But one of the things that Jesus is going to show us over and over again as we study his interaction with the disciples is that Jesus is God's demonstration that he comes to seek us out. He comes to find us even in our hiding. And that is a great hope. Please pray with me as we go to the table.